0: Hello, guys, and welcome to season three, episode four of the MSC Performance Podcast. My name's Luke, and today we are joined by Joe Matthews. Uh, Joe is a nutritionist, and today we're going to talk a little bit about recommendations for general populations, for strength athletes, and also team sport athletes as well. We're then also going to get into some uh, sex differences for nutrition, as well as recommendations for vegetarians, vegans, and also things you might consider. all overarching concept of nutrition so Joel how are you today?
1: Yeah I'm good thanks mate.
0: Awesome uh, do you want to start with just a bit of a, an introduction to yourself for the people that don't know
1: you uh, who you work with what you do? Yeah for sure so I've been working in nutrition for just under a decade now my main or well, full-time I'm a lecturer at Birmingham City University and that's in nutrition and injury prevention as well and alongside that I've worked with a number of different athletes started with combat sports so a lot of boxers and fighters and more recently, I've become head of performance nutrition for Coventry United Ladies Football Club, and uh, an academy nutritionist for Wasps Rugby as well. So that takes up most of my time. Fantastic. So
0: yeah, how do you find the how do you find you working for uh, for the team sports compared to working with people one on one?
1: It's a bit different. So I think when you when you're working one on one with someone, you're you're going through a lot more personalised stuff. So you might be breaking stuff down, their day-to-day training schedule and their lifestyles and might be working alongside as well. Whereas in the team sport environment, a lot of my job is like the large organisation of the nutrition. So that might be lunches, chefs, food provision, making sure that stuff is available to players on on a daily basis. So part of that becomes of education. Can we We kind of set up the food infrastructure, if you like. That doesn't sound a bit too, too probably probably big enough more than what actually is there. Just a few things on the table, right? Um, So we'd, uh, we'd have things laid out. So we'd have breakfast, snacks, lunches, and supplements. And then it's education so the players know why they're taking stuff and also what to do on a daily basis. Whereas with the individual, it might be a lot more breaking down sort of grams of stuff and timings of stuff and I do that occasionally with the team sports but but less so I was gonna
0: say from what I gather from what you just said like working with team sports is more about getting the big rocks in place and then the individual stuff is more like the the maybe little one percent wins that you can get is that right or yeah what? yeah
1: absolutely so if you've got a squad of sort of 20 to 30 players there's not going to be time to do all the individual stuff with them and from practically not all of the players might not want that level of attention because yeah. they'll be at different points in their nutrition sure. knowledge and um, so if we can create an environment that makes it them easy to do the basics when on a daily basis. And that's most of the job in in that setting.
0: There you go. Takeaway one, get the big rocks in place. Um, so yeah, we was going to start by talking a little bit about pre and post uh, nutrition, because that's what uh, well, a couple of podcasts ago, we spoke about a recent, um, a recent research paper that came out that hinted that potentially satiety was the most important thing for uh, like moderate volume training in the gym and it wasn't so much about the macro breakdown. Uh, So you kind of wanted to to get your take on on pre and post nutrition and obviously this is going to differ based off what the the individual goal is but I thought we could cover the big three of kind of just people that are training for for general strength or general well-being in the gym Uh, maybe how that would change for for strength athletes so powerlifters, weightlifters Um, we won't say CrossFit because that's very varied um and you you don't like crossfit so uh... yeah, that's a, uh... <laughs> and, and then and then for team sports so, as well, so that's not true uh... <laughs> I love the crossfit community so <laughs> with the uh the pre-nutrition um do you have any kind of recommendations for people that are just training within a gym like what are the big things that you're looking for and then we'll have a look at the team sports after
1: yeah for sure i think i think the first thing in, in terms of how complex and complicated you make nutrition really depends on number of training sessions per week and per day and then the volume of work you're doing in those sessions yeah so if you've got somebody who's maybe doing three four or five one hour gym sessions that are predominantly strength training based so powerlifting style of training i think the the need there's a, a lot lower need for things to be complex and complicated sure. you'll know, make things a lot more simple and um, so the if we take that example of someone who's doing say four or five one hour gym sessions maybe they've got some strength goals maybe they've got some weight loss or fat loss goals in there as well the pre-training nutrition meal is really just needs to be a mixed meal and probably a decent amount of carbohydrates in there a high quality protein source roughly if you're a smaller female probably around 25 grams of protein is sufficient if you're a larger male like rugby player sort of size probably closer to 45 that sort of sliding scale but the main thing is to make it a meal that you enjoy and you know you digest quite well so a few things i'd i'd want to go through with someone is the timing of that meal yeah and that can be anywhere from about ninety minutes to two and a half hours before the session. Some people will be able to digest really quickly, in which case you can get closer to the session. Other people will know that doesn't suit them, so you can leave a longer window and then maybe have a small carbohydrate snack sort of fifteen minutes beforehand. And yeah. um, another, uh, the other side is just the practical aspect of if it's somebody who has a day-to-day job, what can they? What time of day are they training? Sure. So if it's a morning session then a large meal beforehand might not be feasible if they're training at say 7am. Whereas if it's an evening training session, it might be that they can get a large meal in, in the yeah. afternoon. And another silly consideration might be for, for powerlifters, if they're going to be lifting with a belt in that session. Then sure. Go a smaller volume Big meal. Belted, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If we, we put in a, a really large carbohydrate meal and then you're trying to lock your SBD yeah. belt shut, you yeah. might be seeing some of those carbs yeah, again. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Um, so... How do you find out if someone lifts better like ninety minutes beforehand, or uh, so ninety to two and a half hours? Did you say? Is there kind of anything that you use, like, or is it just a case of trying the meal, seeing how they feel during the session, and then trying different options in terms
1: of the timing? Yeah, it's exactly that trial and error. And I know that's uh, sometimes that can sound like the boring approach, but that's if it takes you a few weeks to get that trial and error in place, then you've got that information forever. forever. Yeah. yeah, and that, the the few basic things I'd get people to track if you're really interested in. Sort of monitoring your nutrition to see what works is I track your sleep, so hours and quality each night. Yeah. Um, I track your energy levels, so you could just do that on like a traffic light system, so red being low, amber being moderate, green being good, and then track what you think your nutrition has been for the day again, red, amber, green. And those three things, all traffic light system, can give you a bit of a picture because what you wouldn't want to do is try a new meal. Or new nutrition strategy a bit closer to training not trained very well but then actually your sleep was a problem yeah you, you blame falling. the nutrition but it yeah. could have been a number
0: of things yeah. and
1: i think that's part of it. trying to tease out what is the nutrition issue and what's the sleep issue and amongst all of those things and after if you can track well for sort of three weeks you'll probably start to see a clear picture of actually i slept well then and i did this with my meal i trained a little bit better okay let's try that now for yeah. a prolonged period rather than chopping and changing stuff
0: okay that makes complete sense um and then in terms of like the carbohydrate recommendations you said about the protein scaling based off the body weight is there some kind of scale that you use or would that depend on that overall
1: kind of calorie goal yeah it really depends on the overall calorie goal and um, my preference for most people who are doing serious training is that they would feed carbohydrates beforehand yeah um, and that, and so if you're if you're trying to limit food elsewhere in the day perhaps you've got a weight loss goal fat loss goal alongside your training i would still prioritize the carbohydrates in the pre-training meal because that's where they're going to have the biggest impact on training quality if it's a um if it's a power lifting session and let's say you're focusing more on high intensity work low volume yeah then you're probably not going to need an awful lot of carbohydrates to fuel sure. that session so that would be an exception to that but let's say you're doing a mixed session maybe some lifting maybe some metcon type stuff you going to want a decent portion of carbohydrates in that pre-training meal. So with that being said, look, the research that we looked at
0: before was hinting that it didn't particularly matter on your, your brain. Cause like you said, the carbohydrate demand isn't that high of like low to moderate volume, strength training sessions. And it was more about just not feeling hungry in the session. Mm. So would you agree with that? It doesn't particularly matter as long as you're not feeling. Cause I personally find that if I'm in a session, start to get hungry, I must feel a little bit, I don't want to say faint, but like a little bit lightheaded. And then it really does affect the training session. So for myself, it, the carbohydrate demands of what i do is very low but it's more just about feeling fallen and being able just to stay kind of as focused as i can within the training session
1: yeah 100 percent. so i'll give a couple of different examples here if somebody was in a team sport like rugby sort of carbohydrates on before training or before a match day are non-negotiable <clears throat> they're going to yeah. have to be in there um but if it's powerlifting absolutely go for a mixed meal um particularly if it's going to be some some lower volume higher intensity work if you're starting a new block and you're doing some higher volume work, I would still try and get some carbohydrates sure. in there. But generally speaking, how you feel in that session is probably going to dictate how well you lift. Yeah. And a lot of that's going to be down to I think the, the the higher volume training is going to be more dictated by your fuel availability and, and nutrition. The lower volume, high intensity training is probably more dictated by mindset, psychology, freshness okay. as a general concept.
0: So what you're saying is on competition day when everyone's eating a kilo of gummy worms, that's not based off your recommendation. That's uh, unnecessary, but it's just, it's just for
1: enjoyment. Uh, partly for enjoyment. But on a competition day, you should be going with what you enjoy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, And the same, again, we'll go see a team sport example, football or rugby. We would do the fueling on the day before the match day, yeah. which is a high-carb day, a high-carb breakfast, but then the actual lunch meal before competition is not trying to force carbs out. say what do you like to eat at this time okay you're going to eat that so if it comes sure. about making the person comfortable and making sure they're
0: happy yeah you don't be having a massive monster meal before doing like a high impact rugby session or a football match I guess so no,
1: no and you want a couple of hours to get yourself in the zone for the event and the training and part of that comes with having a meal that you enjoy to to get you in that zone so in terms of like I like said fuel readiness
0: you get the same benefit from having the meal 24 hours out as you do kind of like a little bit closer to it it's kind of just having that availability or
1: yeah if it's if it's if you're exercising anything beyond sort of a 60 minutes possibly but definitely beyond 90 minutes and there's an endurance component and it's a competition you want to fuel up the day before so traditionally this would have been called sort of carbohydrate loading yeah it kind of still is to some extent but a few decades ago, carb loading would have taken five days, whereas now we can pretty much maximise that in about 24 hours plus a large breakfast on the day. Again, if it's powerlifting, strength training type, type stuff, you probably don't need to use those sorts of tactics. But if it's rugby, marathon, endurance stuff, then before an event, then carbohydrates are still king.
0: Okay. Okay. That's a good takeaway. How would that change if you were training in the gym? So you said about if you training four or five sessions, and it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's hitting the big rocks. If you're going to train, let's say you still train five or six times a day, but you're training twice on one day, would your nutrition recommendations change if you were doing, let's say, um, a conditioning session in the morning and then strength session in the evening or vice versa?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the most complex things for nutrition is people who are training multiple times per day. Yeah. Um, so i worked with a lot of fighters who will train twice per day. And when we've got that sort of scenario and on top of that fighters will also have a weight loss target normally for their sport is i'd get them to map out on like a day by day okay what are the training sessions what's high volume what's low volume yeah. and straight away the high carb meals go into the areas where the high volume training is yeah so we know we can prioritize carbohydrates there and most of us don't have an endless supply of of energy we can just take in without it leading to to weight gain so if we have to take energy and carbohydrates out from elsewhere we can do that either for the the low volume training sessions or on some of the rest days as well but first things first is make a big rocks in place yeah what are your high volume training sessions your training quality is going to be far far better if you're fueled up for those sessions so for a combat sport athlete that would be sparring first things first is okay here's my sparring session for the week right I know that those two meals before sparring or the one meal before and in the evening before if it's the early session they're priorities for for that week
0: so you would say that your, your rest days, you can kind of reduce the carbohydrate intake down, especially if you're just training a normal amount. I guess, like how much do you find? Obviously, I guess the, the, if you didn't have a, a weight loss target and you were just trying to maximise your training, you'd keep the carbohydrates fairly moderate on your rest days. But if you had a, a goal of weight loss or if you had to be in a weight category, you recommend dropping the carbohydrates down on that day? Was it just about prioritising the way it needs to be prioritised?
1: Yeah, a bit of both. So I'll give two separate scenarios here. One, one is a performance athlete, so he's a fighter. Um, so they have a weight loss target and they also have quite high training demands and yeah. adaptation so we want to keep carbs as high as possible so the fighters I work with we keep carbs as high as possible for as long as possible until probably yeah. the final week or final five days before they would weigh in the opposite side of that is someone who's not a performance athlete but is maybe has some fat loss goals yeah. so some weight loss stuff they might train four or five times a week in that instance I wouldn't worry about just changing carbs you could eat a mixed diet of fats and carbohydrates you can choose to eat low carb you could choose to eat high carb the many ways to skin a cat and weight loss can be achieved with any diet type really as long as you keep protein high would be the key thing
0: so the protein stays high but yeah so i guess the sorry the question i meant more was like you're trying to balance prioritizing our sessions but you also want to try and make sure you're getting ample recovery and i guess to support that keeping the calories high on a rest day is beneficial but if you've got the weight loss goal do you see much of like a fluctuation yeah. between the working days and the rest days? So I guess you drop the calories right down, you're sacrificing a little bit of recovery for then having the benefit of it on the training day. Is there like a, a line there? Or is it personal preference or what, what's your recommendation?
1: That's a, that's a really good question. So I know some sports nutritionists who wouldn't taper down calories on a rest yeah. day. I would taper down calories, but not food volume. So try and keep the portion size on a plate the same but use uh, foods that have a higher volume per calorie. So for example, things cauliflower like... Cauliflower rice. Uh, no, <laughs> cauliflower rice is doable. <laughs> things like aubergine are going to give a large volume, still give you that feeling of fullness, but yeah, uh, so no, no <laughs> laughing at the <laughs> of aubergine. You insert an aubergine emoji. I wasn't laughing at, at. at you, such way. a child. You're trying
0: to pretend to be this serious lecturer. <laughs> you're
1: at the so food foods that have a large volume and lower calories per volume are ideal for rest days because it doesn't feel like you're restricting you're still getting a lot of nutrients they're generally going to be higher in fiber as well so it helps suppress appetite and it then means you can you can shift in a little bit more carbs on those training days but having said that i work with people who would say no keep keep calories and carbs consistent um so again there's there's several several approaches to that
0: so i guess with your weight loss goal if we're talking about weight loss for now is you've got like a rather than having to look at it on the daily picture you've got like almost like a weekly target for calories so you could average out at let's say you're 2000 a day so that would average out at Quick match, fourteen hundred. Uh, sorry, <laughs> damn, I've messed that up. Uh, fourteen thousand, um, and then you divide that by seven. So I guess like you could divide that however you like. So some days could be tw- uh, two thousand two hundred, other days could be eighteen hundred, or you could keep it constant. It's more just like the week picture.
1: Yeah, perfect. So, so another, yeah, another take home as well as getting the big rocks in place is I'd say look at your nutrition across a week as opposed to day to day. Yeah, um, for a performance athlete, that's important because you will have different needs on different days based on your training for somebody who's looking general weight loss fat loss or weight management it also takes away that psychology of good days and bad days and good meals and bad meals yeah because you're working on a weekly basis and no one meal or one day is going to derail that progress whenever we talk about nutrition for me like the the similarities
0: between your training and your nutrition and like the periodization with really like are apparent so like with your training one great session or one bad session doesn't make or break your your training block and it's the same with the nutrition like one bad meal doesn't make it it's these general trends over time and it's the same with weight loss there's going
1: to be that i presume that there's the fluctuations daily but it's the overall trend um that you're tracking yeah for sure big pictures and i think that's probably been a change in nutrition in recent years is treating it as a as a bigger picture thing yeah i think for performance athletes a way to think about it in a simple sentence is to fuel for the work required so fuel for the demands of your training on that given day or on that given week. And there will be weeks like a deload week, for example, yeah. where you will fuel differently. Yeah. And you can also have effectively deload weeks with your nutrition. And that might mean um taking your foot off the gas a little bit and actually giving you a bit more freedom in your diet. So it doesn't feel like you're on you like shouldn't. a diet break. Yeah, yeah. Like, like a diet break, but not to the extent that maybe some bodybuilders would go where it's a, a six
0: month diet break. Yeah, a yeah, six month
1: diet break or a six thousand calorie binge. So it can be healthy and I mean around
0: like maintenance perhaps yeah exactly
1: yeah. but and also to give you from a food psychology point of view to give your mind a little bit of a break from having to track on the things as closely which is not necessarily healthy for everyone either
0: yeah absolutely yeah that's that's good recommendations how does that change for uh weight gain like do you work with many uh like fighters that were looking to gain weight and I imagine in rugby there's a lot of people that might have a goal of getting a little bit bigger um how does your nutrition kind of change for there? Obviously, I guess you're trying to get into a surplus, but do things change with like the meal time and the recovery days if you've got a goal of gaining weight?
1: Yeah, so the goal of gaining weight is really the, the rugby players in that example who, who need to put on mass. the challenge is normally getting enough calories and energy in because they're training so high and maybe their appetite is suppressed quite easily. So then it becomes the opposite of what we might do in a fat loss example. So where I said about using foods that are quite voluminous and low no calorie, we'd go the opposite route calorie, and actually, dense, calorie yeah. dense foods it might be adding more oil when you're cooking something yeah. as simple as adding more olive oil can increase a couple hundred calories a day um, adding more smoothies things that aren't going to suppress the appetite quite as much and using things like got nuts and seeds which are generally quite calorie dense which yeah. you blend into stuff at on yeah, top yeah. so it's an opposite approach of the fat loss some of the things that are useful in that context are not as useful in the in the other context
0: do you find that with like um especially weight gain when it's getting to a point where it's plateauing there's there's because i guess it's easier to get like the micronutrients in while a lot of people when they're doing a weight loss i guess you you got to make sure they hit the micronutrients as well with a with a goal of weight gain i guess it's easier to hit those micronutrients because the high volume of food you've got more chance of hitting your the minerals that you need do you think that there's more room to to add like you said oil but also like foods that they enjoy so like ice cream extra chocolates as long as they're hitting their like their micro breakdown
1: yeah 100 and i think even if you're Even if your calorie needs are quite uh, on the smaller side, there's still room to include those things. Yeah. So if you account, let's say, ten percent, twenty percent of your daily intake is going to go to foods that are not considered quite unquote healthy. Yeah. um, Not a massive fan of using that term, but that's probably how people would best understand it. It just means that the higher somebody's calorie intake, the more energy they've got that can go towards those foods that would be less healthy. Um, There's
0: less less room for error if you're on fourteen hundred calories to have a.
1: Chocolate bar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think it's still you want to build healthy food habits as well. So you don't want someone to think restrictive. Yeah, Yeah. bodybuilding is a good example of this. It'll be really restrictive and probably too restrictive for six months, and then six months of like a dirty game where it is just fast food on a daily basis. And there's probably bigger issues with food psychology going on there and food attitudes that need to be unpicked if you're going on that sort of boom bust approach. All or nothing.
0: Yeah. I guess, well, we don't want to get into it too much, but it's just, yeah, being restricted for so long and then all of a sudden just craving everything that you've you've not had for them months just leads to, to that kind of behaviour. And it's obviously yeah. not productive long-term and it's just a vicious cycle. And that's the same with dieting for Gen Pop. You see it all the time, that they go on these, I guess, stupid fad diets, maybe like a keto or like a low, low carb. Um, and then all of a sudden, when they're craving a carbohydrate, it's not just one little thing, which they could have easily fit in their goal and their calorie target. Um, all of a sudden they're eating everything
1: yeah i mean there's a number of reasons why people might go on those binges and part of it is over restriction part of it might just be a really poor relationship with food that could stem from any number of reasons in the past and some of that i think particularly in sports where there's an aesthetic component so things like gymnastics dance bodybuilding there's quite often other reasons that underpin a lot of that body image stuff yeah and so for you and i it might be quite simple or easier for us to say okay well we're going to be more moderate of our food intake for other people it might speak i'm i'm the
0: sex symbol of msc performance so i i feel the pressure you might not feel the pressure i feel the pressure carry on
1: no that's fine i was going to end the point.
0: yeah oh uh, yeah i fully understand so yeah that that covers a lot of what i wanted to talk about with the uh the weight loss and weight gain um I guess then another nutritional thing to think about is, is if you are vegan or um, or vegetarian, like do your recommendations change then in terms of like the amount of protein that you're asking people to take, uh, maybe the calories, are they any, any different or do, are you giving the same recommendations? Like what changes if someone's following a vegan or vegetarian diet?
1: Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a few different considerations. And I think depending on this, the, what particular type of vegetarian or vegan diet people are following so if you still eat dairy and eggs it's a very different conversation to somebody who excludes all animal products entirely so there's a lot of degrees in there um generally speaking there are deficiencies that are going to be more common however i do have a bugbear if it's okay to go to share with you so i think it's really it's it's really common to to talk about deficient or people to mention deficiencies in vegetarian and vegan diets and say oh well we shouldn't be that because you might be deficient in x y and z but if we look at the general population who are meat eaters and and uh, consume a mixed diet there are still quite common deficiencies in mixed diets but people might say oh we shouldn't have a mixed diet because you might sure. be deficient in x y and z so the important thing is how well you know your diet and education really so it can be a poor diet that's a vegan diet or it could be a poor diet that's a mixed diet if I have a player an athlete who comes to me and says they want to follow a veggie or vegan diet, it'll always start with a sit down. Okay. What's your current nutrition knowledge? What are your cooking skills like? How are we going to plug some of the gaps that might appear if yeah. you just go off the cuff and you're not preparing food from scratch and you, yeah. you'll say it, it could be a vegetarian or vegan diet, but it might still be convenience food, fast food based. Um, generally speaking, a protein can be a little bit harder to hit and um, specifically if you are on a calorie-restricted diet, so I think fighters and weight loss there or normal fat loss stuff, generally because your protein is going to come attached to carbohydrates. So things like soy, um, edamame might come from nuts, might come from um, beans, pulses, and it's going to have those carbs alongside with it, which is not a huge problem, again, as long as you've got an understanding of that if you're eating more protein on a vegetarian or vegan diet, you're probably going to be higher carb, lower fat, just by default
0: because of this, yeah.
1: Yeah. In terms of micronutrient stuff, that's specific to the vegan diet. So vitamin B12 is is a relatively common deficiency, um, but that's easily fixed by if you're if you're a vegetarian or vegan who still consumes vegetarian sorry who still has dairy and eggs, then you'll be fine. And yeah. um, if not, that can be solved with a supplement, and that's yeah, and that's relatively straightforward. There are some other micronutrient deficiencies, but then but not anything that's as specific to that diet that still can't happen elsewhere. Yeah maybe some of the essential fatty acids that you get from fish oils so if you have oily fish that's high in epa and dha but then there's a lot of people on a mixed diet who still don't eat oily fish as well so again if you're really diligent and want to be attentive then that can be addressed with a supplement as well or there's um there's microalgae oil as well is is an is like a vegan alternative to fish oil supplements sounds horrible yeah i've not had it myself (laughs)
0: uh two questions off the back of that
1: so with
0: the with the vegan one of the things that people talk a lot about is about the the protein quality for for vegan and, and vegetarian source compared to a meat source it being an incomplete protein source like how much do you find that actually affects people's training and kind of goal of maintaining let's say tissue or, or, or increasing muscle tissue um and i had a second
1: question which i've just completely forgot so if you answer that we'll, Don't back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again i think this is something that's easily fixed with a bit of planning so there are there are high quality vegan sources of protein soy being one so that soy can be in the form of tofu it could be in the form of supplements that are soy protein as opposed to whey protein could be edamame um, and peas as well a score relatively high on like the protein index which yeah. is how well digested they are aside from that if you you don't have to combine certain protein sources but you can and there might be an advantage there there might not 10 20 years ago they would have said you need to combine certain foods so you to get a com- complete protein yeah so you yeah. get a complete protein source so things like rice and beans you'd combine together yeah but based on the evidence in the last few years i think as long as you're getting all of those things in a day they don't need to be in a meal
0: so if you were eating exclusively beans only you might be dif- you might not have a complete protein source but as long as you get getting... a multiple like a multitude of different sources you're probably going to hit the overall
1: yeah exactly yeah. so so the reason for that is is protein is made up of lots of different amino acids um if you eat an animal source of protein that contains all essential amino acids of which there are nine which the body can't produce yeah but if you eat plant-based sources of protein they will contain some of those nine they might contain four another source might contain five so you're looking to sort of Come on, yeah david brent mean with you combine them together yes <laughs> decent um the question i was going to
0: ask was about the general population you said so like vegans like people say that they've got oh it's deficient because of the diet what are the gen pop deficiencies and then i guess like touch on what other supplements in specific to like the micronutrients that you might recommend or like vitamins and minerals that you might recommend
1: to yes. the general pop Yeah, for sure. So I generally wouldn't recommend the multivitamin because I think for most people that isn't necessary. But if somebody chooses to take it, I'm I'm, I'm not going to stop them. Um, Most of the things we can get through food. So common deficiencies in the UK population, zinc, magnesium are quite common. Um, In females, iron can be quite common as well. Yeah. If people who follow a mixed diet but don't eat red meat, then iron is another consideration as well. Uh, and things like iodine, but if you use fortified table salt, that's not so much of a problem. So they're they're kind of the main ones. With food fortification in the UK, a lot of deficiencies that might be common in other countries aren't necessarily problems here. So B vitamins, are, are, most people are generally okay if you eat fortified products so like dairy and and bread in the UK, those products are fortified. But if you don't eat those things, then B vitamins might also be mindful as well. The big one, that's I guess, it's a fashionable one. You might come up before that like, vitamin D. So but is that an aubergine joke? No, it's not. <laughs> you say aubergine. D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so between, uh, if, if you get a bit of sunlight between April and September, um, if you're out in the daytime and you've got your arms and face uncovered, you'll be you'll get enough vitamin D from the sun uh, in those spring and summer months. But between sort of September, October and March, April, the winter, autumn, winter months, you're not going to synthesize vitamin D from the sun. So right. generally speaking, a vitamin D supplement is safe and effective and it can maintain your vitamin D levels through winter, and that might have some implications for muscle health and performance and bone health and strength as well
0: is that so you said that um a multivitamin you wouldn't recommend but is there like a negative because i guess they're quite cheap um and like if it covers all the bases like is there any downfall to taking a multivitamin if you're hitting all of it everything through um nutrition because i think a lot of people see it as almost like a fail safe and it just covers the base
1: yeah i've heard people say use it as an insurance almost yeah i i, I think it depends on that person's mindset because if they're using it and then thinking okay but well i don't need to include Eat anything this, this good, in my yeah job um i tend to come away from it but it's not it's not something that i generally recommend but if somebody's taking one and they say should i stop so it's that's entirely up to you okay.
0: and then i guess on the same uh, thing with the the vitamin d so you recommend it during winter is that something you continue in the summer is there a negative if you have that alongside going outside
1: is the yeah so good that's a good question so there's a, there's lots of and vitamin d is quite a hot topic and there's lots of different opinions in this area um with the athletes i work with i would get them to supplement just through the winter months yeah if they want to continue through spring and summer they can do that's absolutely fine Would You just the
0: dosage i guess or
1: no keep it the same, the same. yeah you keep it the same but you're there's so you kind of got your vitamin d level as you say this is a, a normal level yeah and by supplementing vitamin d you can increase that level in the body yeah there's not so much evidence that having more is better yeah but you want to avoid a deficiency so as long as you're normal and not down here yeah. you're probably going to be fine there's going to be no negative consequences but going higher is I'm yet I'm yet to be convinced that having vitamin D as high as possible is is of any help. Is it any hindrance? There's no like health detriment to having too much vitamin D. If you're if you're super dosing vitamin D, so you know maybe talk about dose a bit. So a, a general recommendation is around two thousand IU's, which is international units per day. um Some supplement companies like Science for Sport they do theirs in a five thousand dose, which for some players will take for larger rugby players, for example, they take one a day for the uh, women's football players they'll take one every other day and so it ends up yeah. being 2500 um the, the guidance on what's the safe upper limit for a daily dose I think is 4000 IUs if somebody's super dosing and they've read that that's going to be helpful it probably won't and it could be negative in that the increase in sort of kidney stones and calcium deposits right. in the body um that's not my area in knowing sort of exactly what that risk carries but I've never had any need to to dose someone higher than that
0: so, yeah, the poison is in the dosage.
1: Yeah, that's poison absolutely right. Dosage. It's a nice catchphrase. Decent. So, so
0: that's the, the vegetarian and vegan. Um, what about for sex differences? We so spoke a little bit about like the, the women's uh, rugby place. If you're working with a, a, a men's rugby team and a women's rugby team, would there be different recommendations you would have, have there? And then I guess for just general population, the differences in nutrition for men v women. Is there any like big things that stick out?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think the big things probably apply to both groups and um and the, the deficiency that I would want to be more mindful of in women is iron deficiency. Yeah. Um so the risk of being iron deficient and then more extreme is iron deficiency anemia is much higher in female athletes than for the general population and that can be due to um, high training loads which can deplete iron status in the body um, but also loss of blood across the normal menstrual cycle can mean you lose iron in that in that blood as well and with people now eating less red meat there's less iron coming in sure and red meat is higher in iron it's more bioavailable to the body so changes in kind of the the nation's dietary preferences coupled with a population who's already at risk it's iron deficiency would be a big one for me to take a look at
0: okay what about like uh, actual macro recommendations
1: you, you protein recommendations the same for men and women yeah they would be so uh, macro recommendations are normally going to be based on body weight anyway so yeah. you might have heard protein recommendations people talk about grams of protein per each kilo you weigh and that's going to be the same for men and women the total amounts will be different just because the women will tend to be a little bit lighter on average not yeah necessarily everyone but I don't. I don't think there's any need to change macro splits or recommendations from from men and women
0: in terms of like calorie uh, demands. If there's an 80 kilo man and an 80 kilo woman, similar kind of levels of activity, do you see much variation in terms of like calorie intake?
1: Um, if there is, it would be really small, okay. and that's only because um, the person who has. If we've got two people who are 80 kilos, the person who has a a higher proportion of that. Weight from muscle mass and less body fat will have a slightly higher energy expenditure. On that note, do you think that's like a really exaggerated thing? Like when people talk about
0: like increasing your metabolism from having more muscle mass, do you think that's really overstated? Like I'm sure it is a thing, but people make out it could be like hundreds of calories, and maybe it's actually a small amount.
1: Yeah, I think I think in that example, you're looking at a uh, like hundred or two calorie, hundred or two yeah. calories per day, and in the grand scheme of things, that is. That's no difference to counting error and what you're oh, counting yeah. in and counting yeah. out or that you've gone for an extra a walk in the morning. So day to day, that's not going to make too much difference, uh, I don't think.
0: OK. And then with the uh, with the, the women. So, yeah, the differences, I guess, depend on the body weight. Do your nutrition recommendations change depending on where a woman is in her menstrual cycle? Because a lot of times people talk a lot about like the training considerations around um, where a person where a person is on their cycle. Does your nutrition recommendations change as well? I guess like to combat stuff like people feeling like at Elise will hate me saying it, but she eats everything like mm-hmm. when she's near her the start of a cycle. Um, so is there anything that you'd recommend to combat that? And uh, so there's I just no. got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we, have to, we have to edit that out.
1: <laughs> I'm panicking. So we've got two we got two two sort of um, I put it in two scenarios here. So if you're talking about general nutrition recommendations across the cycle, so in this phase, you should eat this or in this phase, you should eat that. Yeah. And I know this is a really hot topic, but this is something I do feel quite strongly about is there is, from a nutrition perspective, there is no evidence that you can prescribe nutrition based on phase of cycle. And I'm aware that there are people with large social media followings who say there is, and there just isn't that evidence yet. You read the studies and what we have available in the current methods and it's, it's, impossible to make recommendations based on phase of cycle as a as a blanket um, if there was an advantage i'd be doing it because i work with a team of female athletes where that, that would be something we could do um, that is majoring in the minor of something that probably doesn't need to um, probably doesn't make a lot of difference however on an individual basis if you're someone who tracks your cycle from month to month um, you might have used an app like Flow Tracker is quite mm. a common one, where you can track your symptoms as well. And how I like file
0: because every, every day you look on it, it says today I'm going to be angry, pissed off, and it's like, oh Luke, this is why I'm shouting. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's finished. <laughs> so there is, I mean, there's a possibility if the app's telling you you feel a certain way, then that might it's prime gonna, you to yeah, feel that way exactly. But although you can't make blanket recommendations from phases of cycle working with an individual you might start to get a really good understanding of your own changes through yeah. phase of cycle so i think the most important thing working with um working with um somebody who is tracking their cycle would be are there times of the, are there times throughout the cycle where you know your appetite's higher and yeah. you're more likely to to overeat in which case you can build that into a periodized nutrition plan if you've kind of got zoom that. out at the month Reduce somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. So where I've spoken about looking at nutrition from week to week, you can almost zoom out and go month to month. Again, more important for the performance athlete where you need to be a little bit tighter on certain areas. For general popul- population, your body's probably going to self-regulate and you'll under or eat less in certain periods and yeah. eat more in certain periods. But I think that's where the value is, is is being able to give yourself freedom if it's times where you know your appetite's going to be a bit higher, rather than eat more and then feel bad about it. You can actually build in that to your to your monthly diet it's the same with like
0: like social event kind of thing if you know that on like on a saturday you're going to eat more because you're going out for a meal with family or friends you might under eat the rest of the week to try and compensate for that if you have got a weight loss goal mm. um you might say well, on, on a saturday i know i'm going to eat an extra 1000 calories so i'm going to take that
1: 1000 calories and reduce it from the other six days it's yeah, the same sure. idea with it, the the cycle yeah it's sa- same same principle and it also gives you a little bit more ownership and hopefully a bit more understanding of your body and how it responds and how you can fit food to it without saying Right, right, I'm at this phase of my cycle, I need to eat more carbs or less carbs because we're probably not at a, a level, a, a point in our understanding where we can do that just yet. Awesome. On the note about the the, uh, the research coming towards the
0: end now, but uh, is there anything that you want to see like with the research to, to answer any questions that maybe you've got? Or is there anything that you're working on that you're excited for or like nutrition that could really help change the the scope of what you're doing and how you're working with
1: it? Yeah, I think I think the, the female athlete stuff is... And it's probably the most interesting because we don't have a good understanding of nutrition considerations across the cycle. And even if even if those things will hold hold true from person to person, or even if there's too much variance between two people that we can't actually ever give general recommendations. Yeah. So it'll always be an individual thing. Sure. Um one of my my um PhD supervisors in Nottingham, Kirsty Elliott Sale, has, has worked on this for decades and is still doing some work. So I'm interested to see what what they do, but a lot of it is if <clears throat> you bring someone into the lab and change the diet they eat in the days beforehand, does their performance in the lab, then then change. Yeah. There are there are a handful of studies that have looked at that, but not probably at the level and quality that we need to make those recommendations just yet. Okay, cool. That's exciting. So I guess, yeah, to finish
0: up with then, um, I guess just kind of like your, your overall uh, recommendation. So I, I think we gave people a lot of information today, like if someone was coming in, starting starting training in the gym or like looking to take their nutrition a little bit seriously, the big rocks, what would they be for, for the gen pop, for the strength, not the strength athlete, gen pop. And like, if they're playing a team sport, what are your big
1: two or three targets that take up like the, the biggest return for their effort? Yeah. So I think the the, the fundamental is, is energy balance. So the amount of food that comes in versus, or the energy that comes in through food versus the energy that goes out for activity. So to get an understanding of what your energy needs are is is fundamental yeah you can do that by using some of the online calculators online but they will give you an estimate and then if you track your food intake and you can get an idea of your energy expenditure you'll start to see okay well my weight sort of stays stable when i sit around here and once you've got that you can then start to think well how am i going to how within those those calories what are they going to be composed of so protein carbohydrates and fat um the ratios between those are not really that important for the general population, but trying to hit a protein target each day can be quite useful. Um, there are a range of different protein targets. If you are general pop strength training, then anywhere from sort of 1.5 grams for each kilo you weigh. So if you weigh 60 kilos, then that would be between sort of 90 grams up into 100 Twenty grams. I thought you
0: gave yourself a hell. Of, I always go 100, 100 kilo. <laughs> so simple. And I
1: struggled to work
0: out seven days, two thousand calories early So you know, I back you more than. This is
1: myself. this is mass with Luke and Joe.
0: <laughs> yeah. So one point five grams as a as a minimum if you're doing some kind of strength training. Yeah. The upper and limit two point two. Upper limit
1: more. two point two is a, is a general upper limit, but I think if you're particularly if you're a, a larger larger person who weighs more you're probably going to struggle to hit that target unless you unless you're used to it so that would be the first thing really is what are your roughly energy needs on a daily basis and can you hit a protein target and i wouldn't worry too much about the proportion of carbs and fats in that initial phase that would be the fundamental the other big rock take home would be um would be variety of food so a really nice example is rather than having a bowl of porridge in the morning that's just oats and milk is maybe you reduce the portion of oats and milk slightly, but you add in, let's say, a spoonful of cocoa powder or sprinkle on some nuts or seeds on top. Different textures, different yeah. flavours. Really small changes like that, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of, and that will help with the micronutrients and avoiding deficiencies. And also, if you're about to go into a session where you're going to sweat and lose minerals through through sweat um, in exercise as well, you're replacing those or you're, you're replacing them afterwards, but you're actually loading them before because they're going to be in in higher quantities and things like neat seeds, nuts. I really like cocoa powder as a nice addition, adding things like honey in, but making sure that your your plate or your bowl has several different things in, as opposed to just two things can yeah. make a big difference.
0: Fantastic. Um... Yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything that I wanted to go through. Is there anything you wanted to say or happy?
1: No, perfect. Loved Fantastic.
0: Um, where can people find more from yourself if they wanted to like talk about like your um, nutrition services or just kind
1: of get a bit more information about yourself? For sure. So I'm on Instagram and Twitter, which is at Joe John Matthews. I rarely post about nutrition stuff, occasionally when I get the time, but happy to answer any questions if, if people want to DM me. That's no problem at all
0: fantastic other than that hope you all enjoyed the episode guys hope you got some good takeaways uh no pun intended made that joke earlier but it works again uh so yeah thank you everyone and we will see you on the next one thank you
1: cheers see ya